So thank you very much, Catherine, for joining me today on this will be technically when it launches episode three of the new Unbeatable Life podcast. And like I was saying just before we come on air, I used to think that it had to be all about me researching the heck out my person and my guest and getting great intros. But it turns out that that was more about me and less about the guest. So rather than me bore anybody to tears and try and impress them with my knowledge, I'll turn it over to you to tell us a wee bit about you and what you do and how you're changing the world. So the first thing to say is thank you for having me on. And the most important thing to say about me is that I'm a mum of five young kids. Um, I'm a child psychologist and a former teacher and total parenting geek. So I believe I'm in the right place because I believe you're a parenting geek too, Grant. Uh, just a wee bit, just a wee <laughs> bit. Yeah, uh, maybe too much some days, maybe too much. <laughs> so five, I thought three was crazy, right? And, you know, as a dad, when you go out in the world and you've got three kids, people go, good job, big man, like you, yeah, yeah, three children, you're a hero, kind of idea. And you can see the looks like, and it's mostly mums and dads will kind of give you that. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but what's it like with five? It's as crazy as you think it would be. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I had five kids, five and under. Uh, twins at the end. Surprise! <laughs> oh, I've, I thought we were bad with three, four and under at one point. Five, <laughs> five and under. Wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So but we're coming out the other side now. The twins just turned five and my eldest is about to turn 11. So, so I'm assuming there's a lot of hand-me-downs in your house. <laughs> yeah, my kids actually love hand-me-downs so much. And But my eldest, she is really aggrieved that she never gets hand-me-downs. She gets <laughs> a few things. <laughs> she gets her the first choices and she's like, that's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, so I've got my oldest is 13 now um, and then my middle one is 10 and then my younger one's nine so we two like the Irish almost the Irish twins thing yeah. and uh, yeah we, we do the same thing and so for him you're always trying to no be too boy <laughs> so it's like yeah go down the way but the middle one is catching up to him so much it's like yeah it's, that's not happening yeah, that's not happening. And luckily enough, my youngest one, um, this morning she came in to me and was like, hey, dad, I'm weird. Like, weirdo. But you don't spell weird with an O. So it's W-E-I-R-D, capital O. She totally <laughs> embraces her unique side and her weirdness and absolutely loves it. And she's like, like I'm writing that one down. That's a good one. Brilliant. You know, so she, she's kind of in that one. But yeah, so far, five kids, I mean, that, that has to be a crazy household. I mean, like you said, previous teacher, yeah. now a psycho chartered registered smarty pants psychologist in the <laughs> Institute of Ireland. My wife's going to yeah. love it, by the way. Um, I was talking to my last podcast to a guy out in the East Coast in Canada, and he had total French accent, and I hadn't thought about it although we're bilingual country here. Yes. It was weird, so we had to kind of chat about accents, but my wife says she doesn't hear my accent <laughs> unless I leave <laughs> a voicemail or unless it's on the podcast. On the day-to-day, -day, my kids say I'm no Scottish. They watched Gerard Butler a couple of weeks ago in Greenland, went, hey, Dad, you don't sound like him. 
he's Scottish. <laughs> like, <laughs> thanks. But that all to say is my wife absolutely loves the Irish accent. Yay. Like completely <laughs> and utterly loves it. We were in uh, we story for you in Dublin. So that was 2009. Ooh. Um, right across the road to Crop Park. I was recruiting for a company back then called Blackberry. Being being of the Scottish descent, I know how good the our European education is. So I was targeting both the Central Belt of Scotland and then through Ireland because I was a, I knew about all the tech belt there. And we were in Dublin, and I know you're in Cork. So there was this young man pissing down with rain, all of a sudden walked through the doors of the, what's the name of the hotel right there? Right at Croc Park. Comes through the doors into the reception, and we're chatting to him, and he's like, yeah, I heard your advert on the radio, and I drove all the way for Cork. Like, <laughs> No way. Really? He's like, yeah, I want a job. Brilliant. So that, that first part was like, okay, so you ticked off the dedication part, you've ticked off all that. And I'm like, interviewed him, like, how can I hire this guy? Like, it was just into that mindset. It's like, stuff you just can't teach. Yeah. And we end up hiring him, and he was absolutely amazing. Like, one of the guys, here's a project, just going down. He's like, yeah, sure. And mm-hmm. he now lives in, I think, and his name's Dara or Reardon. And I believe he's now in New Zealand. He left Blackberry. And he said, I remember saying to him just before I left when the whole downturn came, he's like, can I, can I get made unemployed as well? Because <laughs> they were paying people off and they wouldn't pay him off. They wanted to keep him. I'm like, it's like, he's volunteering, but you don't want to. Because what he said to me is like, I want to go and uh, take my bike across Africa and go from the north to the south. And I'm thinking, yeah, motorbike. That's kind of cool. I said, no, my push bike. <laughs> my buddy took a mountain bike and went to like Egypt all the way to South Africa. I'm like, yeah, no thanks. So yeah, he's always like, so that adventurous spirit that showed up at that door that day was the same adventurous spirit that he just continues through his life. So, you know, a like testament story. to the lifestyle of Cork yes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the Atlantic weather that keeps brushing in there for you. Yeah, and you know, it's the, it's the real capital in Cork. <laughs> you know, you think... Uh, you think it's Dublin, but it's actually the real capital. That's what we call it. Dublin's a tourist capital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what was that journey? So, teacher, did you did you start off as a teacher? No, I actually started off in psychology, and then oh. I trained as a teacher because I wanted to get into the postgraduate training, and I knew that it would be beneficial for me to do teaching to get in. So the day I started my psychology, my professional training was actually the day I graduated as a teacher. Okay, hold on. Let's see if I can figure it out. So were you in perpetual student mode at this time and not really sure where you wanted to go? No, I was really clear where I wanted to go. It just takes a very long time to become a psychologist. Right. So you were just going to have, you playing a side bet. So what did you teach? Um, so primary school. Okay, so, so for the subject. for the North Americans, that's um, like uh, twelve and under, typically. Yes, yes, twelve and under. So, any particular grade you had? 
Um, so the last class I taught was third class, which is kind of age nine-ish. Yep. It's really a nice age to teach because they're super independent, um, but also they're not too cool for school. They actually still like their teacher. They haven't had that teeny, but yet. Yes, yes, I've, yes. I've it's got, a lovely I've get, age. I've got one of them, yes. He's all of a sudden, you can hear his voice cracking and he's like, yeah. He doesn't want to talk to you. It's like drawing blood for a stone. And I was trying to talk <laughs> to him last night when we were taking to swimming. And I said that to him. He's like, but you can't get blood for a stone. I went, that's right. That's what talking to you is like right now. He's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, funny. it's one of those lose, lose things. It's like, I want to get involved, but I want to give you your space, you know? And yeah. So you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm okay with that. Don't want to produce false information. I had read somewhere that part of this rebellious teenage thing is actually about the preparation for leaving home, about pushing their boundaries past what you have typically set up for them. And they're like, unconsciously saying well i'll be leaving at some point so i'm going to try and figure out how, where my independence comes is that right is there something yeah. in that there's a whole journey towards independence and if if teenagers didn't push against parents like mm. that how would they get ready to leave you know, it's that drive for independence that that begins really early. Like I do it myself with the toddler and it just morphs up to I'm going out as a teenager. You know, it's all part of this moving away from, you know, total dependence towards independence. And then in the 20s, kind of coming back around again you know this this deeper connection again you know so a kind of a moving back towards parents i think it's really interesting to track actually that move towards independence i, I interviewed a guy called i don't know if you've ever heard him steve sims mm. he's like a super connector type guy grew up in london and i'm pretty sure his parents were irish and he was a bricky but he's one of these super connectors and he recently just went to elton john's um after show party for the golden globes and he's all 1970s Norton bike and and when I interviewed him last year year before he actually mentioned something very very similar like for his own viewpoint perspective I was like yeah when they hit that teenage year they're just like total assholes he says and then I says when does that change he says for the boys running about 21 22 he says they're all of a sudden back to you they've listened to you they're like hey dad that was a really simple face i'm like so what you tell me i have to wait like 10 years before i can he's like yeah yeah pretty much yeah, so there's a patient game for him yeah <laughs> so what you're saying yeah. is, is that, so that that's good so, and i keep reassuring myself it's like rebellion is a good thing rebellion is a good thing rebellion is a good thing if your kids know rebelling to a certain point should you be kind of concerned well i actually am always concerned when children aren't rebelling because that you have to feel safe in the love of your parents to be able to rebel against them you've got to feel secure in the relationship okay that's so I, honestly that gave me a shiver in my stomach. i'm like whoa that's kind of yeah, you always want to argue that one. It's been Scottish, so I'm used to arguing. But it's like <laughs> that, that I'm 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 processing it. That's deep. It's like so you 
in some aspects, the more secure your relationship with your parents, the more comfortable they are with that rebellion, because is it just about the understanding and where does yeah. that come from? Because obviously there'll be parents out there saying, no, that's just not how it is. It's just a wee. You know, kids are going to rebel anyway. You want them to rebel because that's how they learn who they are. They're becoming their own individual people outside of our view of them as children. They're really moving towards their friendship group, moving towards who they are as a friend, who they are as a learner, who they are out in the world. And, you know, so they'll, they'll likely rebel anyway. However, children who feel really secure in the love of their parents can feel safe to rebel because they know that their relationship can withstand the many terrors of the teenage years. So, so, so what we're saying is, is that when your kid comes home and out in the world, the world's telling you they're great. Yes. And they become home and they're like, Bugger. that's a good thing. Yes. It, well, you know what it is? It's developmentally normal. Good. You know, it's it's neither good nor bad. It just yeah. is what it is. That is what it is. It's like something you can expect. So I know that in the you don't just talk to kids about about being kids and all the rest. You do a lot of parent self care. Oh yeah, I'm big into parental self care. I believe it's the foundation of all good parenting. You know, it's uh, it's why in my parenting membership we have a whole day devoted. You know, it's self care Sunday. And everyone is invited to share what they're doing to mind themselves that day. But in addition to during the week and, you know, if if you're really struggling with your parenting, just try and get a good night's sleep or oh. get out for a walk or reduce the coffee, drink some more water and just take a few breaths. And I can guarantee you that all of your parenting struggles will be a little bit easier. Yeah, um, let's say parenting geek. Um, I think we connected because of the whole. Yes, Dan Siegel. Dan, Se Dan Siegel's. <laughs> I'm teaching that, by the way. I'll be teaching that to adults because it really, it's, if, it, like you, you teach, you can teach a kid. If you can teach the kid and the kid can understand most adults. Can. Yeah, I think the world has been out there recently. It's like, oh, it's your reptilian brain or your old brain or this. Great. It's a part of who we are. But what does that actually mean? And when I seen the, the hand model, because I was always trying to think how to explain it and, you know, I'm drawing things and like, no, that's not working. And I was like, that's bloody genius. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. And I, so I, that's like, I'm showing my kids, hey, wait till they come home. And it's like, yeah, this is such and such taught us that last week. I went, thanks <laughs> for bringing it home and teaching daddy. And you say, so what happened to school today? How was it? What did you learn? And she's like, yeah, well, we're talking about that. So they had had it a wee, just a wee bit different. And that whole blow your top thing, it's just like phenomenal. It's like just that yeah. whole action. It's like, it just releases the beast. And, you know, it's so important that, that, you know, to think about when we flip our lids ourselves as parents and what are the things we can do to make it less likely that we're going to flip our lids. And like, realistically, like, let's call a spade a spade. You know, when parents shout, it's us having an adult tantrum. Yes, yep. You know, and a lot is no one cool. to face up to that, yep. Yeah, and, yep. you know, I think there's something really empowering about realising that because then the responsibility is back on you. You can't hold back the tide of your child's development and their move towards independence. 
However, you can take responsibility for just doing your best to mind yourself. And I think, like you say, the spades a spade is like none of us are perfect. And oh, yeah. regardless of how much I know, I still flip my lid now and then. You know, oh, like, yeah, me too. <laughs> like you see, it's like, you know, there were a couple of things you mentioned there. Cut back in the coffee, get a walk, breathe, water, you know, really, really simple stuff. But I think, I don't think, I know from my own experiences, there's something we neglect a lot of that. And we neglect the simple things because yeah. we think they're too simple. But when stacked together, it helps produce that calm. I mean, I've been working a lot on breath work recently, and I know it's kind of buzzy, but um, I was a swimmer way, way, way back in my youth, and my kids are swimmers now. And that's their choice. You know, we're asking them, what do you want to do? And you have to commit for a minimum of a year. You don't just get to leave. You know, you have to get through the hard part. But they're all starting to really, really enjoy swimming and competitively and ask to go longer. And I've said for a long, long time that there's swimming is like meditation, right? Because particularly on a competitive level is because you're so focused on the movement and breath work in general is that you don't have time to, what's that happening? We're there and your brain's clear and it's like tile, 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 flip, tile, tile. And it's like breathe breathe and it's so focused and everything's there and I've said for years and I know there's research out there that swimmers typically have a longer lifespan I always wondered if there was something there from a non-scientific study perspective but I recently had uh, delved back into breath work and know the Wim Hof stuff and I'm okay with Wim and he's two more breathing and where it originally comes from but we need a lot of stuff and anxiety and all the rest. One of my kids is a wee bit, and I've said in a post recently, she's a future thinker. Yes. Right? Oh, I see there's a smile. <laughs> yes. She likes to project way into the future. So she gets into that loop, right? Mm. She takes a present in the loop and it's future, what's going to happen here? And then she gets into this cycle of things, reflects back on what the past is, then projects back into fair present, what our future's going to be like, and she just gets into this loop. And I've tried to put things in place, but I'm not at school with her. So, you know, we do talk about breathing, you know, and it's a lot of times I'll just look at her and I'll just, you know, just and she just looks yeah. and just kind of focus and count. And I created one for her. Um, well, I say I created it. It was just something that happened. And it was about, I'm consciously using the term mood because I don't know what it was like growing up with you, with you, I was like, you're in a mood again. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course I'm in a mood. What kind of mood? But it was always one of those negative things. You never somebody said to you when you were happy or smiling, you're in a mood again. It was always like, you were mumpy. So I try and call it state. It's like, what state are you in? To ask her a question. And to simplify it, we had the red state, which is the anger, ready to pop your head. The green zone. Hopefully that's where you're kind of content yes. and happy. And then your blue zone where you're a wee bit more unhappy. And she was a wee bit, so I was talking to her this morning and I could see it in her face. And, you know, we talk about how you think is how you feel and how you feel is how you think. And there's a whole loop in there. And she's like, I'm fine. I'm like, really? Well, no. Where are we? I'm green. I says, you can say you're green, but I'm looking at you and I'm listening to you. It's, is that really? Okay, I'm really blue. 
And then, you know, we get into this discussion why she's blue. And she's future thinking. She's projecting and saying, okay, I'm going to school and I think this is going to happen. So I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. It's like, park it, breathe. So how, how as a parent who's a bit of a geek, these are the tools I'm coming up with. And I know some of it's based on how as an adult we deal with things, but is there anything you can offer that would help me? Because I'm kind of selfish though. Like, how can I become better? And then help anybody else that's there that might have a kid in the same sort of thing as where they get into their head, you know, and just you struggle to bring them back into the present. Yeah, I really like the fact that you're using the states. And I use that all of the time in my work as well. And I talk about the green zone. And, you know, sometimes in our culture, we have this obsession with happiness. So when you're in the green zone, it's not that you're happy. It's just that you're regulated. So even if something is going wrong, even if you're a bit stressed out about school coming up, that you're still regulated and that you might feel yourself going to the edge of your green zone, you're able to bring yourself back in. So like I talk about, you know, okay, let's press the pause button. You know, and I actually do this movement, you know, pressing your hand down, okay, let's pause. Because the power is in the pause. When you pause, you have choice. You come out of this default of future, future, future mm-hmm. fears, and then just come back. And this is where, you know, pause, take a breath, and just try and bring that thinking brain back online, getting more regulated. Yeah, so I ask you, and I like how you, and I'll, I'll dig in a wee bit deeper there, is you mentioned about, you know, I was supposed to be happy. Yeah. And Toxic positivity. And not very much so. And as parents, we are often guilty of toxic positivity with our children. You know, toxic positivity is it's really on vogue now. But we actually do it so much with our kids. We're like, you know, they come to us and they're and they say, Oh, you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. Just get Whereas, you know, if we can just like if we can just drop our obsession with our kids being happy. You know, often a parent will come to me and they'll say, I just want my child to be happy. And I say, well, actually, you know, let's explore how Mm -hmm. you would feel if they're not happy. Is there space in your life for your child to be unhappy? And really exploring our acceptance or not of that, because if we have this idea that our children have to be happy, there isn't the space for them to grow and develop and then what happens as well is we can push it underground. Their real mm-hmm. feelings can get pushed underground, like saying, I'm in the green zone. Yes, I'm fine. And the facial expression and body language is not matching what this child is saying. And it was something I love how you allowed your daughter then the space to say, actually, I'm not in the green zone. I'm in the blue zone. And then you supported her to come up with a strategy to help herself. Yeah. And again, that's all because of my own journey, that self-awareness, right? And it is a scary thing. So I'll put that question kind of back to you. Is, as a parent, you want the best for your kid, right? You, you yeah. totally do. But I agree that you have to, we have to take some old school parenting strategies, like probably how you and I grew up. You're gonna not get it right. It's okay to fall down and yeah. stuff like that. But does, does it become as much about us then as a parent? And I'm going to say projection, right? May or may not be the right word. Um, Because I'm conscious I'm talking to a psychologist. (laughs) 
other people, the non-psychology people, I wouldn't be worried. I'm like, is that the right word? But <laughs> yes. That we project ourselves into that and the thing it's like, no, you should be happy and you should be grateful and you should be this and you should be that. But is that in some aspects, maybe us not being inside because we're not necessarily that deeply self-aware saying to our kids, you should be because A, you've got it better than me or you don't know what it was like and because I've, I've done that. Like, I'll you admit. Know, I, think, I think it's really about positive intentionality. You know, the vast majority of parents love their children so much and just want to give them everything they can. And it can be very, it's a very challenging journey, I think, to acceptance of life as it is when we realize, actually, we can't give our children everything. What we can do is equip them with the skills to cope when things inevitably go wrong. Yeah. It's not that maybe they'll go wrong, it's they're guaranteed yeah. to go wrong. <laughs> you know, and also thinking, reflecting back on your own life. You know, I'm sure the times of adversity really shaped you to be who you are. Yes. And, and would we want, would we really want to deny our children that? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, really? not, that's not only your first response. It's like, yeah. But if you take a, a if you self-reflect and if you take that back, it's like, but like you say, is that you learn from that. It is painful or it, it is yeah. difficult and but what did I get from that journey? What? Yeah, and, you know, gradually, for children to gradually experience, um, you know, increasing levels of difficulty from early childhood right up towards adolescence and into young adulthood, that's actually the ideal pattern. Of course, we don't want our children to have huge um, adverse childhood experiences mm -hmm. at all. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about trauma. I'm talking about difficulty. And it's really important that our children are allowed to struggle that they're allowed to develop that um, tolerance for frustration, that tolerance for difficulty, and to know that it's actually still going to be okay. Yep. And, the and to be able to face a challenge. Because like you said, is that yeah. chaos is going to hit. It's not if, it's when. You know, and that's one of the yeah. ones I use with my adults. Like, it's, it's not when the shit has the fun. It's, it's not if, it's when. And the other one is, is that I like to use is, you got to practice like you play, you know? And it's kind of stealing for kind of military side of things and all the rest is like, because we do not rise to the occasion ever in times of stress and in times of hardship and in times of difficulty. We default to the level of our experience. And if we don't have the experience or the strategies or the skill sets or any of those things, we ain't rising anywhere. And, you know, my, my parents growing up, they were totally obsessed with coping skills. Oh, my goodness. As a teenager, I thought I was going to scream every time I heard them talking about coping skills. And now the joke is on me because when I give talks to parents, I'm always talking about coping skills. And once my mom was in the audience and it was her birthday and I decided to give her a gift and I spoke about how my mother was right all along with her obsession with coping skills. <laughs> Oh, the wisdom of the ancients. I, I don't mean that to your mum. Apologies. It's a very practical thing of um, you allow your children to struggle a little bit, um, but you don't let them flounder. 
you scaffold them and give them just enough support so they can get it done without being flooded by frustration. And then, you know, at different times in your child's life, you know, you may need to increase the support and then you can reduce it again. It's not linear. It's more of a circular roundabout, you know, at different times of stress. And I'm seeing it particularly now in this past 12 months, you know, with everything that's going on, that children, I'm seeing that they're needing more support. They're needing extra, whether it's their remote schooling or, you know, what are they're not able to see their friends as much. You know, I'm just seeing that their coping skills have reduced. And I think all of our coping skills have reduced. You know, we I think we have to be much more intentional about how we can mind ourselves so that we can cope. So that is a good point. And I segue back in there is you've got five. Yes. Right? I've got three. And while they all see a certain common traits and it comes through for mom and dad, because my, my wife's actually a counsellor. She does genetic okay. counselling. Right. So she, her field was prenatal. 20 plus years of dealing with that level of counseling. Yes. Um, so we have this kind of empath thing going on in our household. But our three kids, other they've got some shared traits, but there's some other stuff they are completely and utterly different. And my wife is taking on the burden of the financial side and the, the, the earnings right now, right? So really, really focused on that. So I get a lot of the parent th- side of things, right? And I'm good with that because I say the geek out. But they're different and it can drain the heck out Yeah, How do you deal with that with five? Because I'm sure between, so you've got, I was going to say four, now you've got three, then the twins. Yeah. They are the same. Are they different? I mean, you're in the professional side of things. You you get it like a hundred percent. You've been a teacher, a mama five. How are you dealing with that one? I suppose what's really humbling is um, to realize that no matter what your background, you're still just a parent at home, and you have all the same struggles. You have all the same, you know, past hurts, future fears that every parent has, and you know. Life, life isn't perfect for my family. They're all so different. And it, it's been really interesting, a really interesting journey, actually, is especially with the twins at the end, seeing that, you know, you think that they have the same experience, but they are all so different. And sometimes I'm just in awe of the fact that when I think about children come into the world fully formed mm-hmm. and really our job isn't to shape them or mold them or anything. It's just to allow them to unfold into who they were meant to be all along. Yes. And try not to mess them up. <laughs> as little as possible. As little as yes. possible. <laughs> yes. It's like I, 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 I do joke every now and again, and I'll say, I was like, this is one for your therapist later. <laughs> oh, and, you know, I talk to my friends about that as well, and I say, you know, our children are going to be sitting around with their friends complaining about us. Oh God, yeah. And and they say, oh, they won't. And I was like, no, no, they, they will. They will for sure. Like you know, we we are just doing our best. Um, and I suppose your hope is that your children will say, well, you know what, my mom, she did her best. Yeah. And my dad, he did his best, and we were loved. You know. I, I like I don't want my children or I'd love them to be saying they were happy but I know that's not realistic what I want them to know is that they're loved 
And I think that might be something that a lot of people might struggle with is the idea is that to be felt loved is actually stronger and more powerful than the idea of always being happy. Yeah. Because happiness is fleeting. You know, it's a current feeling of a past event. Yes. Right? And again, thank you, Danny Cavillman, for that one. <laughs> and, you know, right? if you think about, um, you know, I just love the idea of, you know, our children resting in our love. I think it was Gordon Neufeld said that. Oh, you see, know, there's a name I don't know, so that's down on the list. <laughs> yeah, it's this idea of, um, you know, children always having this secure base to come back to. So, you know, I fully expect my, my teenagers, when they become teenagers, to be lying to me and rebelling and doing things behind my back and all of that. And But what I want is if something goes wrong, there may be 16, 17 at a party, something's going wrong. and. I'm the one they call. You're the safe zone. Yeah, I want them to say, okay, like everything is going wrong here. I'm going to go to my mom because she won't be happy, but I'm safe in that love. I have very similar conversations. And one of my big things, and this is internal, and I know it, is the idea of lies. I would rather you tell me the truth and we can deal with it than lie to me. Because I see the lies is about accountability, but I also know why they lie, right? Mm. And I know that for nine times out of 10, there's no malice in it. It's the boundary pushing. It's the protection for them, but it still grates me to my soul. It's like, don't make it worse for yourself. Like, really? (laughs) You know, inside it's like, oh. You know, so that's one of mine. And it's one of my things, like, it's just a, very much in the the honesty bracket because I, I equate that to the accountability and ownership, and that's the one that. But you know, know, we all we all lie all the time, though. Chris. Of course we do. And yet we try to hold our children to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. I have I have felt a hypocrite more than once. Yes, <laughs> and that's and you know, that can be a struggle. And most lies are actually around protecting relationships. You know, because our children, they lie to us because they want to protect how we see them. They want to protect the view we have of them. Whereas if if you want to reduce lies, then allow your children to grow and unfold into who they're meant to be. That's really playing the long game. You can focus on the lies or you can focus on why does my child feel they can't show their true selves to me? So get curious, because that's another one I'm really big on, that curiosity game. It's like, okay. is Because yeah. my background was like, once I joined the military when I was 18, because I had to escape. I had to get away mm. from where I grew up. And it was one of the, it was one of the safest and easiest. And I, I really found me or I really get comfortable with who I was and could show who I genuinely was when I joined the military, which was amazing for me. I mean, that was like, wow. hey, this is, I can, like, it was like, I was almost cocooned in some form of judgment where I grew up, like the sense of expectation and who you're supposed to be and what's expected of you and the community around you. And 
I think some of that community would be missed now, but there is this feeling I had is like, I couldn't be who I truly wanted to be. Mm. Move away and join the military. I'm like, you don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know me. Ha. Huh. And it took a wee while. I mean, it wasn't long, I'd say months maybe. And I just really kind of commit my shell. And I joined when I was 18. So, you know, for anybody that doesn't know, is a male who's 18, there's a reason we all joined the military between the ages of 18 and 21. Our prefrontal cortex is not fully formed and it's still a bit like this. Hello. We haven't, <laughs> yes. clo- we haven't closed that. Um, let's go and do tough stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. You know. And looking for tribe. You're looking for tribe, looking for belonging. And this yes. journey towards mm-hmm. authenticity. Yeah, so in, that sums in, up perfectly. Yeah, and in the ideal world, our children won't need to, to leave to be their authentic selves. You know, and it's, it's wonderful. Lo- that as long as we provide that safe place. Yeah, yeah, the room to grow. And um, I think it's one of the hardest things with parenting a teenager is figuring out, okay, which are the boundaries I have to have that are around safety? And then which are the boundaries that I'm trying to enforce that are about my stuff? Yes. Yeah about my journey and the things that I'm like, you know, and I think I've seen something recently is like, if I had to reflect back and see how I grew up and I'm trying to tell them like, wow, how did my mom survive? Yes. <laughs> see, I was oldest of four boys as well. So, uh, you know, that was, okay. that was mental. It must've been crazy for my mom. Um, definitely. Yeah. But this is the te- so I'll go back to the teenager thing. And it was, it was something you touched on. It was like, how do you know? And I, I'm, I'm guessing, I, I think I, I know the answer. You know, what are the right ones to, and those boundaries, I mean, I always imagine it because I have this idea of the sheepdog, which is another story. You know, the three kinds of people, sheepdogs, wolves, and sheep. Yes. And there's this kind of predator, prey, protector thing. Is like the sheepdog, sheep in a pen, protect for the wolf. That's the boundary. But you need to open that gate every now and again. How do you know what gates to open and let them just experiment? Because again, one of the other ones is that the moody teenager that runs to their room. I don't like you any longer. I'm going to my room and I'm an insomniac. So I'm so conscious of the bedroom being that place for sleep and, you know, a hustling grind culture that we're in and Ooh. probably have been for the last couple of decades tech and all the rest like just grind just hustle sleep in your dead idea i'm really conscious that i never put my kids in the room when they were being bad because it's sleep that's not a punishment yes. that is so i'm actually i feel like i'm in therapy right now i'm analyzing myself <laughs> oh yeah it i have that effect on people as <laughs> a safe place and that's what i try to make their bedroom you know there's no tv minimum amount of light um read and mm. sleep but if it is a safe place, is it okay to go there then when they get in that mood? And I'm thinking now, yeah, it actually is. And I'm hustling them back out. No, you're not going to your bedroom. You can sit with <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I, th- I really do think it's about balance, Grant. You know, teenagers do need to be able to go to their room 
but they can't be allowed to hide in there. You know, one of the, you can have a right to privacy, but with mm-hmm. rights come responsibilities. So you've got a right to privacy, but you've got a responsibility to be part of the family community as well. You know? I, I tend to come with that part of the family community thing um, and the strength comes in through that and we can't, you shouldn't go hiding for your problems. Yeah. But as she's telling us, it's like, but yeah, maybe you should let them go every now and again. I think so. And I allow people to have space because it's it's where they go to calm and regulate. Yeah. And you you mentioned something a little while ago about the wolves um, and the sheepdog and the sheep. Now that analogy works for parenting if you want to always keep your children sheep. If you ever want your children to become sheepdogs, if you That's... ever want them to move towards mm-hmm. independence, then that's, I think, one of the biggest guiding factors to deciding which are boundaries that are necessary and which ones are about your stuff. And one of the things, one of the pieces of work I do with parents is to watch out for their sharp music. Okay. What's that? <laughs> so it just seems like... A shark music. Sounds interesting. Yeah. So think of the old Jaws movies. Yep. You've got mm-hmm. the beach scene and everything is looking lovely and people are splashing about and playing and suddenly you hear the dun dun. So the scary soundtrack and our heart rate gets elevated mm-hmm. and we feel this is dangerous. Now, we also have shark music in our own lives, but we don't realize it. It's where we have the scary soundtrack playing in the background in our subconscious that something dangerous is happening. And it's what I'd like you to do and people who are listening to do is start watching out for the times that you have a disproportionate reaction to something that's actually fairly innocuous. And it's usually shark music and it's coming from past hurts or future fears. Mm hmm. Yep. And when I first learned about shark music, I just thought it was, it blew me away. I thought it was so amazing. And um, I was, you know, I, I was telling everybody about it in all of my talks and workshops. And um, one day I was, um, it, I had a parenting issue myself, but it wasn't an issue. It was my issue. My children would always mm-hmm. come up and say, are you coming down to do cuddles? Now, at the end of the day, what I really, really wanted was to sit down with a bar of chocolate or two and watch some TV. And the last thing I wanted to do after being needed all day yeah. was go down and give some more. And one day my husband turned to me and he goes, do you think that could be a bit of shark music? <laughs> right? <laughs> no. It's oh, he's a brave risking. man. <laughs> it's not a risky. So when I was like, no, no, no. oh, oh, yeah. maybe it is. And what what actually happened then was actually being able to label it as shark music. So, you know, Dan Siegel's name it to tame it. When I labeled it as shark music, it turned down the emotional reactivity. And then I had choice. I could still choose to react Mm -hmm. the way I was, this autopilot reaction, or I could choose a different response. So I'm only telling the story because I actually am choosing the different response. I'm actively choosing to label it shark music and then step into being the kind of parent I want to be, which is the one who goes down and gives the cuddles. 
yeah do the thing that you don't necessarily feel like at that time because you realize it's about you and know them and they shouldn't be punished for how you feel right there and then yeah yeah and and when you can recognize your shark music then you can meet your your child as your best self rather than operating through this unconscious reaction yeah, yeah. So now again, that's one of the other ones I've got built into my thing for parents and well, I'll not say parents, but you know, men in general is about the idea is that you're you're they're always watching. Mm-hmm. Always. So you as as a dad, I think you have to become the person you want your child to be. Yes. You know, and it starts with you. So I've got this whole thing about dads and that, but it really it's about it's about the kids it's about the next generation it's about how we i say grow but it's maybe no grow cultivate a new generation of, and i know you're big in the resilience thing as well like yeah. strong and confident resilient little human beings who actually care for other people and that's where the sheepdog thing comes in it's like i believe we need more kind of people the sheepdog idea in the world it's like they're always going to be sheep and there's always going to be the wolves and in, in the real world we need to be cultivating people who care to that level and are willing to stand up and say hey that's no fair or that's no right or you can't do that to another person you see you just there and i get that it exists in a continuum you can't always be that person because if you are there's probably something wrong if you're always in that caring mode and i've been identified as codependent so i have to deal with that one as well you know (laughs) Oh, I was trying to fix stuff that started off with electronic equipment and then it turned into me, then it turned into other people. So I have to take that step back in that one. Yeah. But I'm conscious of them. But there's one of the ones there, and you were just talking about it as an adult, you have to know your own sharp music and you have to own your own sharp music. And we do blow up. Mm. But one of the ones that, and maybe, again, I'm in therapy here, but I'm hoping, I'm sure other parents come across it, is when you blow up i'll own it Mm. right i'll come back i'll explain where i was what was happening and i'll apologize i'm not just going to say sorry i'll say guys just that was unnecessary or that was out of order or that was out of context here is where i was try not to do it again now i then analyze that and go does that mean I'm setting them up for failure? That case, if you go nuts, then as long as you apologize, it's okay. Right? So, it's like, you know, what's the win in that situation? The way it's not blowing up, right? I get that, right? Is that being able to recognize the sharp music before it happens, de escalate yourself so that you because I seen a statement I did, a de- a, an escalated parent cannot de-escalate a child who's escalated, which is really complex. Yes. And I'm trying to simplify that for like normal human beings. It's like, well, when you're angry, if your kid's angry, your kid's not going to get no angry. Well, I have a very simple phrase for that. You want them to catch your calm rather than you catching their chaos. Oh, see, see. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to come up with something, but I doubt I'm beating that one. Catch my calm. 
So this is, again is where your parental self-care comes in. When something is going wrong, whatever it is, whether it's your parenting or any other aspect of your life, you know, the powers and the pause, if you practice that pause, take a breath and then you have choice. And what you're doing then is when you are actively bringing yourself into the green zone, yep. you know, emotions are contagious. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yes. So your child is more likely to catch your calm. You know, the phrase, uh, never in the history of calming down, has anyone ever calmed down by being told to calm down? It's like, don't panic. Yes. Uh, really? I heard panic. What do you mean don't panic? Why should I not be panicking? You know? And, and Put, you tell know, me what to do. Please you were talking, calm. <laughs> you were talking about when we flip our lids as parents. And something that has really, really helped me is to see that all of my own moments of misbehavior, my own misbehavior, they're actually opportunities if I choose to take them. They're an opportunity to model for my children that when there's a rupture in a relationship, that they can take responsibility and go and repair. I'm showing them that uh, loving relationships can survive ruptures. We're moving away from this black and white, all or nothing thinking mm -hmm. and into this richness of human relationships. And my hope then is that through that, those many, many experiences throughout their childhood, that then when they are going out navigating the world, whether it's an adolescence or young adulthood, that they're bringing that level of rupture and repair into all of their relationships, whether it's friendship, romantic work relationships, all of that. And I suppose you spoke earlier about, you know, be the adult you want them to become. And that's really what that's about. Um, I see it anyway, and it, it has helped me cope with the fact that, of course, I would love to be perfect, even though I know that that striving for perfection is actually damaging. That's my own ego wanting to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Whereas, again, we know all the research is that good enough parenting is what we should be aiming for. And good enough is good enough. Yeah, it's the, <laughs> as a perfectionist, good enough is one of the ones I struck. So what is good enough? So where, how do you quantify good enough? Yeah. And, you know, the research is that it being good enough, if you want to quantify it, is being attuned to your children 30% of the time. What? Is that it? Yes. So when I read 30%, I was like, oh, my goodness, I can do 30%. And this is where your rupture and repair comes in. When you have what brings it to good enough is that when you have your moments of misattunement, mm -hmm. where you're not tuned in, where you get it wrong, it could be that it's not even just about flipping your lid. It's maybe you don't notice when your child needs your help with emotions or whatever, but you don't just stay with that. You go in and you do the repair. Yeah. I, I think I wasn't listening to you earlier. I think I wasn't listening to you earlier. I'm here now. That kind of thing. I had exactly one of them last week. Okay. In the car. So I am fortunate enough that I can drill them off at school and pick them up. Right. So mm -hmm. I've got that flexibility in my day. And I pick them up. And as I say, we've got one just now who's struggling a wee bit with the school and relationships and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And she likes to talk. Mm -hmm. And so she, normally she's in the car first. And then the younger one, McKenna, will come in. And the other day there, she went, now we share putting them to bed because they all still like to go to bed. Lachlan, the oldest one, no, he's gave up. But the two girls still like to go to bed and get them a wee cuddle. And like you said, the nights you're like, oh, really? Come on. Let your mom take you tonight. 
But if Hannah takes them, she tends to go to sleep. Tends to, right? But anyway, so then McKenna's like, I know it's mum's night tonight, but can you take me? And I'm like, sure. Yeah, no problem. Oh, did I get a ribbon? Uh, it wasn't a nice thing I was getting asked to take her to bed for. It's like, so I says, okay, so how come me tonight? It's like, you know, it's mum's night. I need to talk to you. It's like, can I, it's not a talking time. It's like, I need to talk to you. Okay. Why do you always leave me out in the car? Why do you not talk to me? And I'm like, oh, um, triggered. Like, I'm ignoring, I'm ignoring her. She feels, she feels ignored. Oh God, what's happening? And I'm like, can you explain to me what, how are you feeling? Right? Because I'm trying, I'm trying not to overanalyze it, you know, asking the questions like, yeah. so what is it? And it is because Ellie is coming in and she's chatting away and she's trying to analyze her stuff. The journey up to the house is like four or five minutes, but Kenna's feeling so left out. At this point, she's not getting a chance because Ellie's a wee bit older and articulate. They're all articulate, but she's got this thing. So she's like, has to get her stuff out. Kenna's taking a step back and allowing it to harm but feels like she's not being listened to. So I had that exact scenario just last week, and I'm like, okay, so how do we want to deal with it, sweetie? You know? Um, reality is, the wee bugger gets into the car and puts her headphones on and listens to music half the time anyway. But I then start to think, is that a conscious reaction? Because she's like, well, I've got tuned it anyway, so I might as well tune out. So having to me take a step back and say, hey, Ellie, can we just get Ken a wee minute or two? And then... Kenna had her minute or two, and then she came up. It was like the day after, the day after, two days after, and I spoke to her. I says, "Hey, did you see how we gave you that time? Yeah, but it wasn't enough." I went, "Yeah, it's not. It's not really a long time in the car. It sometimes just feels like that if you're not being heard." And she's like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, I get it. Okay, yeah." And, but as a parent, you know, having to take that conscious thing is like I'd realized I was like, well, "What have I done? What, what am I missing?" And stop and then ask the question, you know, get really curious about it and say, it's not about me. Well, actually, it is about me, but it's not about me at the moment. And just ask the question and try not to lead too much, but dig to the point as that you can get it to come out, you know. And that I had that exactly just pure scenario. I was like, yep. And it's that because she is different. Um, and the scenario is different. And while you're focusing on one, you're not focusing on another one. So you, again, you've got five, right? They'll all at some point be vowing for mommy's attention. Do you have the favorite yeah. conversation? I had that once. And my eldest child said to me, I have one, I have one boy, Ruben. And my eldest said to me once, and you must really love Ruben. And luckily, it was a moment where, you know, you must like, really love him. He must really be your favorite. And straight away, you know, my spidey senses were up. And I was like, okay. Where's this coming what's, from? What's the thing beneath the thing? Because mm-hmm. you know, children will say things, but there's something else beneath it. Oh, they're sneaky. So, <laughs> we, and we all are, you know, we cover up our vulnerabilities like yep. this. So I was saying, I, I do, I do love him. And she was like, but you must love him so much because he's your only boy. <laughs> And so I said, yes, and you're my only Sophie. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we sometimes tell our children, you know, as parents, we sometimes say, you know, I love you all the same. 
But nobody wants to be loved the same. We all want to be loved for who we really are. Really so, are. so a really good one to say is, I love you all uniquely. I am so glad you used that word, uniquely. I am so glad because we've had this conversation recently about everybody needing to be special. Hmm. And we're not, but we are all unique. And we need to feel like we're unique and we need to understand that we have our own uniqueness. Even with your twins, they have this level of uniqueness. No saying you don't have special things or that, but I remember, I think it was, uh, did you ever watch This Is Us? Yeah. And I think it's Kevin in therapy at the time, he's right late on. And he calls that one out and it's like, you didn't like me, boys? Like, no. The other two sometimes were just easier to love. And I think we all go through that. Day in, day out. It's like, well, today you're actually easier to love because you're causing less disruption in the dynamic. Not that it's a bad thing. It's just, it can be easier. It's no different. It's just less work. And I'm trying to say that without it feeling negative, but I think we all go through that. And I think if we don't admit to it, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice, but also our kids a disservice to the point is that we have to see them for their uniqueness. We have to see them for who they are, but we have to also understand they are all completely different and require different things at different times, Ooh. you know? But I love the fact you use so. unique. It's like, yep, it's... You know, so it's a, I think it's just, it's so... It's so lovely to be able to embrace your uniqueness. And isn't that what we're all trying to do? You know, I think life is about this journey to authenticity. Again, love that one. Journey to authenticity. You know, and I think lots of us, lots of us get there in our 40s. You know, there's something liberating about that. Where do you think that freedom comes from? I mean, I know a lot of people who, I mean, I see that I've started mine really, I think, when I, I joined the military, but it took, it took a lot of years and there were a lot of struggles for a personal side before I came to that whole, and some of it was therapy. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a different story, different conversation takes too long. <laughs> that, that helped me bridge that. And I was in my early 30s at the time, like really, really, really early 30s. But it still took another, still fighting against that idea of what I thought society wanted from me. And some of that old stuff in the old way, you know, for parenting and all the rest. Before I genuinely embraced the idea, and even this coaching thing was a, nope, not doing it, not doing it, nope, nope. So fluffy, duffy, it ain't happening. I, I hesitated for a long time. You know, what, what, what is it? I mean, you see a lot of people through your travels. Is there a point? Is, is do they have do you have to reach somewhere before that happens? Well, you know, if you go right back to developmental psychology and all, all the different stages in in the journey through life. You know, when we've, you know, we're, we've been talking quite a bit about adolescence, and then you've got young adulthood, and a lot of what we do in young adulthood is a reaction to how we were parented. So we might feel like we're finding ourselves, but actually we're still reacting. 
So, and then we're trying to find our place in the world. We might be thinking about looking for the markers of adulthood, like the job, the house, the kids. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, it's, it's developmental. And then when our children start to grow or maybe we're more a little bit more established in our careers or we may be going into second careers, suddenly it's like, oh, I've, I've been on this planet for quite a while. Am I really being myself? Who actually am I? What is the true me? Is it the mommy, the dad me, the professional me? Like, who truly am I? But they're all the true you. There are aspects. Yeah, they're all aspects. And that's one of the ones, again, I've been playing with is the idea. I mean, it's, you see a lot of gurus and stuff out there, and it's about be true to yourself and identity. And I'm like, but the person I show up as is a parent is different as the person who I'm showing up as here is different for the person there. So I have, at my core, it's me. Thoughts, feelings, beliefs, all the rest. But as I move it, and I'm trying, again, try to visualize this stuff so I can teach it better, is that at the end, there's this identity I bring. Grant the dad, grant the this, grant the that. They're all part of the whole. And some of them overlap. Some of them don't so much. Some of them are completely separate. But it doesn't mean I'm disingenuous. Hmm. It's understanding that I bring a different aspect to me at a different time based on me trying to be the best me at that point in time. And I think a lot of people, I struggled with that one for a while because, I mean, again, a lot of the teaching is, no, that's no, that's chameleon, that's no you, and that's no authentic. And I'm like, no, it is, like, it's conscious. And it was almost like I was getting slated for being conscious of the person I was showing up as. And this was in very traditional coaching and how it's taught. And it was like, you can't do that. You can't do that. It's like, how, how no? <laughs> the usual, the me, why? <laughs> that, that just doesn't make sense. You know, the antagonist at the back. No, don't agree. You know? And so I, I've been working. I say again, I was like, glad you brought it. I was like, get all of that, but it's, we need to embrace that we're all of that and understand that it's no separate. It all comes together. And I think I, again, I I struggle with, I struggle with sometimes the separation. Um, Cause you know, when you're coaching, you tend to coach a lot, but it's who I am. It's who I've always been. I think it comes to being the oldest of four boys and the environment I grew up in and you know, stuff, my dad was an alcoholic, all that kind of idea. It's like, I had to show up a particular way through my life as, as a younger mm-hmm. kid, right? Um, I think there's a term, hypervigilant, whether it's argued in psychology, yeah. whether it exists or doesn't exist. No, it, it definitely does. You know, my head's in a swivel. Can't help it, you know? Mm-hmm. But I used to let that get to me. Now I need to embrace it as a something going forward. It's a superpower for making an idea. It's like, how do I use that to my advantage? How do I use my codependency to my advantage and not let it control me? How do I harness the energy of that? And mm-hmm. I think part of that's where the coaching comes in. But I got to watch I don't get too involved, right? I'm not there to fix. I'm there to help and guide. So it's tough to dig that deep. You know, it can get scary. How do you deal with that with parents? Because I mean, as a parent, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm, I feel I'm aware, 
but I know a lot of parents might not be. How do you get them through that that barrier? Like, nope, no, mate, nope. And I'm, I would guess dads are probably worse than mums at it. Nope, no, nope, I'm not like that. That's not me. Nope, I don't do that. How do you get them to wake up? I think that um, people tend to come to me when they're ready. You yes. know, mm-hmm. pe- people filter themselves out as well. So some people aren't ready for this kind of um, this kind of work because mm-hmm. you really do need to look at yourself. Um, the you know the unexamined life is not worth the living. And some people aren't ready to examine themselves. And that's okay. It's not their time to do it. And then for the people who are ready, it's um, it's a very messy, messy journey. And yet it's pretty amazing because it gives you choice. It moves you from operating on autopilot and reacting so that then you can move into responding and having more choice and control in your life. And I think that there's something really empowering about that. And it's the consciousness of the choice. And I talk to my kids about all the areas. Like, you cannot decide, you know, when things are happening to you, you don't get to decide what happens. You get to decide, you get to choose if it infects you. So we talk about impact and infection. So you don't get the choice whether it impacts you. If it's out there in the world, somebody says it, somebody does it, it can impact you. You get to choose whether you allow it to infect you. And I forget it sometimes, you know, and I, you know, that's how sometimes you feel a bit hypocritical, but conscious of your time, get one question for you. And it's yes. it's a weird one, maybe. John O'Donoghue. Yes. I get into him way back in my early days when the back my theory, somebody recommended reading it. Anam Cara. Um, yes. and Eternal so Echoes. Beautiful. Oh my God. Like a bit out there for anybody that's no, not awakened or ready for the journey, but anybody that is, the Celtic perspective, the, the, you know, the background in that, and all that, it is absolutely like, it's divine, you know? It's so, so beautiful. And um, just, I every now and again, I will pick up Anamkara and it, it's just so beautiful, the timelessness of the writing. And I would have first read um, that book in my 20s, early 20s. And, you know, you understand it at a certain level. And then you read it as you get older and can understand it. And it resonates in a different way. That's just as beautiful. Um, maybe richer through your experience. Yeah. I decided this is not a good point about the wisdom of your age and experience. We change and we change yeah. our perspective, and I think we forget that. It's maybe time yeah. for me to dive back. And I'm not a big reader of books twice. I'm like, there's not enough time. There's not enough time. Just cram it in, get the knowledge in. I listen to audiobooks at 2.1, 2.2, sometimes faster. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I've listened to them at the normal speed. It's like someone talking. <laughs> like, <laughs> creeps me out. Um, but Anam Cara is a book I maybe need to touch back on again, just as you said that, because I do agree that when we read, if there's stuff that touches us, we should go back and refer to it at a different time to get a different perspective. It's worth taking that yeah. time out. And that is definitely one of the ones that, that really, I, I 
like when I think about it, that was one of the ones that really, really like everything I was reading back then and where we are for personal growth and self-development when O'Donoghue first came out with that is it's a completely different world now. I mean, crikey, yeah. we there's too much information a lot of times. It was synonymous with part of my, I'll say, second life transformation. You know, military was my first one, going through a divorce and a second one. It was synonymous with that. Like from an awakening perspective was like, oh, okay. Yeah, and that was one of the ones I get recommended to read for a, co- a codependency perspective. Hey, you might want to read this. It's like, okay. Because <laughs> I'm just like, you don't need to be here. I went, but I want to be here. Can I stay? Can I keep coming back? She says, yeah, but you'll need to start reading these things. And that was one of the one of the early ones I read. And it did change my journey completely. Like, you know, and I don't know if it's because I'm Scottish and there was a Celtic thing there and how it was portrayed across, you know, um, getting things about the mud coming back up and, you know, earth and attachment. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that it's becoming shall we say almost new age yeah and but he was talking about it almost a historical perspective was 30 30 years ago yeah maybe yeah um so he was on the fringe back then you know at least from mainstream perspective but he was definitely one of the ones i had to bring up just to see i'm sure you had read it because he's a local boy as you know and he he was a great friend of Dan Siegel's. Was he? I didn't mm. know that. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So they used something. to do a lot of work together. See, there's something else I need to stretch my my research capabilities into. <laughs> okay, it's, just, it's like I, I, yeah, I don't need any more excuses to buy any more books. <laughs> but that's definitely one. So I have like, I am glad I've taken this new format. It was, my God, enlightening the mind for me. And I thought I was kind of awake. Catch the cam. That is that is my mantra for now on. Oh, it's, like, it's catch amazing. Cam. Catch cam. Yeah. Catch cam. You know? And it's one of the ones I'll share with my kids. It's like, hey, just catch the cam. You know? Yeah, I, yeah that is, yeah, brilliant. I'll, I'll, in fact, I'll need to go back and listen to it because... I just wasn't writing any notes. I was like, okay. okay. <laughs> so I get absolute tons. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for your patience and your time and your wisdom. It has been thank you. absolutely amazing. So in the interest of everything, because this, this podcast stuff's going to blow up, right? How do people find you? And how do we get them to become better parents? So my website is katherinehallisey.com. That's uh, Catherine with a C, H-A-L-L-I-S-S-E-Y.com. And I'm really active on Facebook and Instagram. And my membership is called Reclaim Parenthood. So it's all about reclaiming parenthood from the nonsense that we're fed about what parenthood really is. (laughs) So it's, it's about figuring out what works so you can do more of it and just letting go of the rest, you know, simplify what we're doing and just doing what works. I, I love the idea of simplifying and navigating through that other stuff. 
oh yeah you know so much of the advice we're given and all the shoulds and and all of that whereas if we can bring it right back to basics like reclaim it from all the busyness and bring it right back to basics whether it's the basics of our own self-care or the basics of just focusing on connection you know not perfection not correction just connection and seeing that that's actually what's going to help us through this passage of time with these people that we want to unfold in our care. Awesome. Well, conscious that your little ones are probably getting some of them ready for bed. Yes, they right? are. I mean, I'm very, very strict in the bedtime. Uh, very strict. Even now for a teenager, just, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's only eight o'clock. Can you just sleep, buddy? You in particular, <laughs> growing boy, you know? Um, so conscious of that, again, thank you very much. Enjoy your beautiful family. And I will let you know when this goes live. But thank you absolutely so much. Amazing. It's been lovely chatting to you, Grant. Thanks, Catherine. Take care. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.